I get to take off announcement hat, put on preacher hat. <laughs> Welcome to New Hope Community Church. Uh, if you feel like the need to like run in place during the sermon, you can. Something that will warm you up. So, as you know, this Wednesday is Halloween. And so, over the years, there has been plenty of discussion as to how Christians in general, people who are defined by new life, new creation, should be kind of operating in a day devoted to darkness and death. Some seek shelter in the history of the early event, of the yearly event, attempting to say something about Halloween one way or the other uh, based on what cultures have done with it over the centuries. And to be honest, I love history, and while I'd be interested to learn what Halloween was like a hundred years ago, I don't really find it a compelling reason one way or the other to use that to decide whether I should allow James to go trick-or-treating. Similarly, some would complain uh, like that our 21st century Thanksgiving Day tables don't look much like the first Thanksgiving at Plymouth. Um, and, but the truth is, I could care less whether the pilgrims had mashed potatoes with sour cream and bacon. It's going to be on my table. No, like Paul walking around Mars Hill in Athens, I think that we have a responsibility to respond to the culture and to the climate of the day. Uh, So today, I want us to think about personal discipleship. I want us to think and consider this truth that Jesus calls us to live with him in a world, in, in the world in which he has placed us 24 hours a day, seven days a week. I was listening to a sermon. Thank you very much. I was listening to a sermon from one of our Q Common speakers this past week, uh, Luke Casagrande, who we uh, will be welcoming here at New Hope in a couple of uh, months to guest preach. Uh, I love one of the things that he said. He said, you are a heavenly representative of what it looks like to be Jesus wherever God has placed you. If you're a doctor, that means that you are a heavenly representative of what it means for Jesus to practice medicine. If you are a teacher, you are a heavenly representative of what it looks like to pour into students. If you are a barista, you are a heavenly representative of what it looks like for Jesus to make a pumpkin spice latte. In short, whatever we do, we do it to the Lord. I am embarrassed to confess that Halloween is one of the only times of the year that actually finds me knocking on my neighbor's doors. I know that some worry about safety, and some would rather host, like, Christian-themed Halloween alternatives, but our family's going to go trick-or-treating. You see, somehow, our broken and divided world has built into our culture this tradition that every October 31st, we knock on our neighbor's door with our kids, we share some candy, we exchange some smiles, and as a follower of Jesus Christ, how am I not going to participate in that? Are there costumes that we have no business wearing? Sure. Are there movies you have no business watching and parties you have no business going to? Sure. That's between you and Jesus, as my mother used to say when I started dating. But Halloween 
is an excellent opportunity to, for me to be a heavenly representative of what it looks like for Jesus to knock on my neighbor's door. And I get to do that in front of my kids. So yeah, we're going to go trick-or-treating. If you have your Bibles with you, which you should, or at least in front of you, which I hope you do, please turn to John 15. John 15. Here, Jesus, Jesus is speaking with his disciples just before he will suffer the crucifixion in this kind of uh, upper room discourse. In John 15, starting at the beginning, he says, I am the true vine, or the genuine vine, and my father is the vine dresser, the the vine grower, the gardener, the, the farmer. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away, and every branch that does does bear fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. You see, in the Old Testament, Israel was referred to as a vine. They were called to bear fruit as they were blessed by God in order that they might be a blessing to others. See, Israel, we have to always remember any time we were talking about Israel, and of course this relates to the church, that they were blessed not to the exclusion of others, but rather for the benefit of others. They repeatedly failed at that call. But don't be so quick to judge Israel. See, here, Jesus, Jesus, who is like Israel's representative Messiah is the true and genuine vine, and we are the branches of that vine. And here's the thing, we're called to bear fruit because we too are blessed by God in order that we might be a blessing to others. We spoke last week of the truth that God does the growing, right? We as a church, or maybe you in your home, we might be called to create environments conducive to that kind of growth, but we always have to look to God who actually will do the growing, and He's going to do it through Jesus. Still, branches that aren't bearing fruit must be cut. Um, when we read this sort of language, it might compel us to kind of start thinking about, well, heaven and hell and the need for God to eliminate unnecessary branches in the fires of the internal Gehenna. But let's keep it real down to earth for a moment. See, God wants you to bear fruit. He wants you to grow so that you might be Jesus to a broken world. And even when you are bearing fruit, God isn't going to stop there. He, as he draws you closer to himself, it only makes sense that the parts of you which bear no fruit, which will need to be pruned. So even now, if you are a disciple of Jesus, there are probably habits There are probably what we might even say addictions that are bearing no kingdom fruit. In fact, they may be a hindrance. In Christ, God is calling us to put put them down and to seek out the help that we need from God and from others in order that we might continue to bear the sort of fruit that um, that this world needs because He desires us to bear it. You see, it's what's best for the kingdom, and quite frankly, it's what's best for us. I believe that God is calling us to be strong and courageous. 
willing to stare the darkest corners of our lives down and in Christ declare victory over him over them that is why it is such a great thing that churches like St Hilda's host recovery groups i make it a point every time that i'm in the building with someone from one of those groups, whether it be AA or Naranon or, or, or NA, we don't host an NA group, but um, other churches do, I make it a point to tell them how happy I am that they meet in our building. I ask them if they need anything. I ask them if there's anything that I can do to make their meeting more comfortable. And they usually just wave me off, wave me off and, and say, yeah, we're good, man. Uh, but I want them to associate a church building with recovery. I want them to associate what we do what we're doing here with redemption and reconciliation and ultimately resurrection. You see, we don't have to wait to start living out the kingdom life that bears fruit and spreads the love of Jesus to the ends of the world. We're called to do that today. Jesus continues in verse 3 by saying, "Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. We might not feel that today, especially when we consider the, the weight of the issues that were discussed during our prayer time. Um, one of the most powerful lines that came away from me the other night from our Q Commons event, I mentioned this in the Enu Hope, was Scott Harrison who said, don't be afraid of the work that has no end, or at least the work that seems like it has no end. Um, And when we think about something like cancer, I just pray, God, what would it mean for the church to pour itself into an issue like cancer, to people who are struggling with this, whether they're struggling directly or struggling, you know, indirectly through through a, a family member, what would it look like for the church to just pour themselves into that, even though there's no end in sight? You see, time is a rather funny thing in the New Testament. Jesus tells us that his kingdom is at hand. It's it's within your grasp. And yet we can clearly see that the powers of the world are still quite powerful. Whether we're talking about first century Palestine or 21st century America, just walk down the road and have a conversation with a stranger and you will see that sin and brokenness still infects our world. Yet Jesus says, already you are clean, or perhaps already you are pruned. See, there's that now and not yet stuff again. From one perspective, there are things about this world that need to die, including parts of of you and me that bear no kingdom fruit. But from another perspective, the darkness of this world has already been defeated as Jesus has announced his kingdom rule and reign now. In Jesus, you see, we're called to live into his victory, not one day in the future, but now. And I think that's what he's getting at with the following part of this chapter. He says these incredible words, starting in verse 4. Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. 
If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers, and the branches are gathered and thrown into the fire and burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. But by this my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in His love. These things I have spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy might be full. So what does it look like for us to abide in Jesus? Other translations might say to remain in Jesus. The message simply says, live in me. I think that one of the most important phrases that a human being can remember is the phrase, in Christ, or in Christ is life. You could sum up the entirety of the Bible and the gospel with that phrase, in Christ we have victory. In Christ, we can be who we were created to be. In Christ, there is no condemnation. In Christ, we are a new creation. In Christ, bold, I approach the eternal throne. In Christ, I have a home. In Christ, I have an inheritance. In Christ, I have a mission. In Christ, I have purpose. In Christ, I can truly love others. In Christ, I bear fruit. In Christ, I am a citizen of his eternal kingdom. In Christ, is found love. Life itself, apart from Christ, is nothing. I watched a video a while back from an atheist who sought to refute the Bible by using this verse. You see, he figured rightly that poverty and disease were things that made Jesus sad. So he assumed that since he was in agreement with Jesus, and that 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 qualified him for kind of being in Christ... Therefore, he prayed that God would take poverty and disease from the world. And when it didn't happen, he claimed that as proof that God is a lie. But I don't think he understood the first part of that verse. I don't think he understood the idea of what it means to abide in Christ. Friends, we are not simply called to agree with Jesus' point of view. We are called to more than merely some sort of intellectual assent. We are called to take whatever life we have, our time, our talent, our treasure, our family, our vocations, our education, our homes, our jobs, our church, our world, and gather it all up and then set up shop under the tent of Camp Jesus. For apart from Him, we can do nothing. Apart from him, we are nothing. So Jesus says, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, then ask whatever you wish, it'll be done for you. The expectation therein is that you're actually living in Christ. And if you're living in Christ, you might have figured out that Jesus' typical way of alleviating poverty and disease over the past 2,000 years has not necessarily been through miraculous supernatural mass healings. It has been through the no less miraculous hands of the local church. So what should we ask? We should ask, thy will be done. 
Father, may it be your will that your gospel be proclaimed, that your people feel love, that our lives be filled with joy, and let it be all on your terms, not mine. How will we abide by his love? We're going to do that by keeping his commandments. How do we do that? We do that by living a life of obedience to the only one who's worth following. This past week, we lost Eugene Peterson from this world, from this earth. Jesus didn't lose him, praise God. But we did, at least for now. If you're not familiar with Peterson's work, I I beg you to look into him. In addition to translating the entire Bible into contemporary language through the publication called The Message, he also wrote a series of incredibly challenging work on uh, personal discipleship and growth. One book is called, this is how he talked about a, a discipleship. He referred to it as, the title of this book was, A Long Obedience in the Same Direction. Discipleship in an Instant Society. He reminds us that discipleship will be a lifelong endeavor. We're going to spend our lives apprenticed to our master Jesus to keep us humble. No one, no one, not in this room, not in this earth, no one is going to get past the beginner stage in this lifetime. Our goal and purpose now is a life of learning obedience, a life of hearing from our master what branches bear fruit and what branches need trimming. This is where spiritual disciplines come in. Prayer and fasting and confession and worship and study, this is the type of thing that could be a sermon in itself, a sermon series in itself. But but let me just sum up this way. Let me ask you, What are the rhythms that you have intentionally placed in your personal life that play to the truth that you abide in Christ? What are the choices that you personally are making that help you stay aware of the things in your life that need some pruning or that maybe need some encouraging? In this, we need to be reminded that we aren't just going to stumble into discipline. It is going to take some intentionality. Listen to five random preachers, and I bet you that three of them will sooner or later include a sermon illustration about running. Now, let me be clear that I typically represent the other two. But today I got a running illustration. Two or three years ago, um, actually my friend Matt, who uh, I just prayed for this morning, his father uh, had a heart attack yesterday. My friend Matt and I, um, we decided that we we're going to run the Gettysburg 5K, or at least we decided we were going to walk the Gettysburg 5K. Uh, they have it every June, and since we love history and we thought it would be fun to run around monuments for a summer morning, um, you know, we had no illusions of doing well in this race. Our goal was to finish the race by the time they turned off the clock. (laughs) Some like 45 minutes after the start of the race. Not only did we accomplish our goal with a few minutes to spare, uh, I did have a bit of happiness in me that there were indeed some senior citizens that finished the race after us. You see, my goals were lame. And my results were lame. Could I have done better than finishing a 5K in 43 minutes? I'm sure I could have. 
But it would have taken forethought. It would have taken discipline. It would have taken intentionality. Paul reminded his disciple Timothy to to fan into flame the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For God gave us a spirit, not of fear, but of power and love and self-control. So I'll ask you straight up, what choices have you made to fan the flame of your faith? What are the inputs? What are the things in which are feeding your soul? What are the things that, if you're being honest, though, don't bear fruit for yourself or for the kingdom? What are the things that, if you're being honest, hinder your ability to bear fruit for the kingdom? If you're looking for a few simple choices that you could make in regards to input, I have a couple of suggestions. Number one, daily devotion. We might say 15 minutes, maybe it's less than that, maybe it's more than that, but 15 minutes is a good place to start in a quiet, alone place daily, every day, praying, reading scripture, or maybe reading something else centered on Christ. 15 minutes of non-negotiable minutes every day that you give completely to God and listen to what he has to say for you. Reading is such an important part of this, reading scripture, reading other things. But, but I can attest, like many others, how diffi- difficult it is sometimes to focus on reading. So, so many have found fruit in audiobooks, have found fruit in podcasts. If you, you can get, we actually have in our library, in the church, we have the entire Bible uh, on audio. Um, it, it's called Inspired By. It's, it's fantastic. You could listen to that in the car. There's, there are tons of resources out there in our day and age that can be choices that you make to input um, just the Word of God into your life. If you're looking for recommendations on podcasts or books or things like that, please send me an email. I'd love to make some. Some that like are specifically crafted to you. So daily devotion. Number two, uh, weekly worship. What steps could be taken to give more of your Sunday to God and to His church? I love that so many in this room do prioritize Sunday worship, and I applaud you for that. But I want to just press us all a little bit more and ask, are there ways that you can be more present? What time do you arrive on Sunday morning? What would it look like for you to be seated at 9.55 every Sunday morning, prayerfully waiting for service to begin, maybe reading the scripture for the day, maybe praying, maybe just sitting in silence, preparing to hear what the Lord would have you hear. Maybe you could make the bold move, the bold move, for, for, for there's somebody in here that needs to hear this. Maybe you could make the bold move to leave your cell phone in your glove compartment during worship. Just a thought. Leaving your cell phone in your glove compartment. Now, you might say, but, but I use my cell phone to read the Bible. I'm sure you do. Although, sometimes I wonder, if we're being honest, does everybody only use it for that? I don't know. In service. But, you know... We have the technology. 
You know, you could bring a book. And if we need to buy more Bibles and put them in the pews, let me know. We can do that. Maybe we need to do that. Um, man, there's just nothing like having a book, specifically the Bible, in your hand. Maybe God is calling you to think about making that bold move today of leaving your cell phone in your glove compartment. Last time I'll say that. Or, Sunday isn't just about going to church, of course. What choices are you making to be more intentional about Sundays in general? Do you plan margin in your morning so that you don't feel rushed? Do you plan margin in your afternoon so that if someone asks you to lunch, you can say, yeah, I'm free? Do you ask people out of the blue if they would like to go to lunch? Or are you so busy on Sunday morning, like, oh, as soon as I'm done with service, I know I got to go do this thing, and I got to go meet this person. Like, what if, what if every now and then, maybe if once a month, you just said, like, you know what? I am going into church today just knowing that if, if somebody asked me if I got anything going on after church, you know what? I don't got anything going on after church. Hey, you want to go to lunch? That'd be great. So, daily devotion weekly worship, and a regular small group. Next week, we're going to talk a lot more about the importance of house churches, but today I will just ask, are you in a small group that is fanning the flames of your faith? It is, it, is it prioritized on your calendar as a non-negotiable? We have four house churches right now, and the truth is that I, I understand that maybe some of those, none, maybe none of those don't uh, fit into your schedule, and that's okay, but um, there are other groups that you could be involved in. Um, our, uh, our, our head usher, James Tavon, uh, is involved. He, 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 has a, he works nights so that he couldn't be involved in any of the house churches we have right now. So he's involved at the Ironman men's group at Grace Fellowship Church in Timonium. It's led by Pat Goodman. It's a fantastic uh, organization. It leads on Monday nights and Thursday mornings. It's a great thing. If there's any men in here that are looking for some sort of men's fellowship, I strongly recommend it. You know, Timonium's a bit of a drive, but there are other things that we could talk about, other things like that um, that might work in your schedule. Um, some people have work prayer groups and Bible studies that they meet, you know, during, um, during their work day. They, they carve out 20 minutes of their, of their lunch break or whatever every, every day to try to meet with a couple of people or maybe just once or twice a week. Um, maybe it's just meeting with another person. Maybe it's just being intentional about asking somebody to lunch. Maybe it's just intentional about asking somebody to be an accountability partner. I don't know what it looks like, but in general, one of the most important things that we we as the church can be doing is being devoted to small group discipleship where two or more are gathered. So daily devotion, weekly worship, regular small groups, and number four, this is more of an output, but how are you serving? You might say that, you know, that's not an input, that's an output, sure, but never think that by serving another through any number of things, that you won't also build into your own character. When I pour out myself, when I'm sacrificially loving other people, wouldn't you know it, that actually ends up building my character as well. Our God is just awesome that way. So with that, I just ask you to think about what are those rhythms? What are those things? What are those choices that you're personally making right now to live like you actually abide in Christ.
because you do. Father, thank you so much for this text, for this story, for these words of your Son. Father, help us to understand what it means to abide in Christ. Help us to understand that in Him we have life. We have abundant life. We have wonderful and beautiful life. A life that calls us to anticipate the day where your rule and reign will be evident everywhere. Father, it is that. There is that now and there's that not yet. Father, we just ask that you would remind us what choices that we need to make to put you first, to seek first your kingdom, and to live the kind of lives that are worthy of the kind of grace that we've received by your holy gospel. In the most holy name of Jesus Christ, I pray all of these things. Amen.